guys. Welcome, welcome to the OG of the HRC way. I am the OG of the HRC, and we have a fun episode for you today. We have a uh, local um, election going on March 3rd, same day as Super Tuesday. Everyone vote, please, please, please. Um, Her name is uh, Sarah Kate Levy, and she is running for city council. And the reason that I wanted to reach out to her and get her on here for everyone is because she is, if she wins, um, she will be the only woman in the city council of Los Angeles. And considering how quote unquote liberal we are, um, it's a bit of a shocker. So we have a great conversation talking about the importance of local politics, about women in politics, um, just the women inspiration, the whole thing. She's a remarkable woman. And I think you guys will enjoy her. Um, I did. I had an f- absolutely fabulous time. And again, vote March 3rd if you are in California or any of the other Super Tuesday states. Somehow we've gotten thrown into Super Tuesday craziness. But please vote. And uh, yeah, listen and enjoy, guys. Thanks. Hey guys, it's the OG of the HRC here, and I have a very special guest for everyone, and I'm excited because I live in Los Angeles. I believe in local politics. It's the heart and soul of politics at the end of the day, and I have city council candidate uh, Sarah Kate Levy, said it right, (laughs) here, and I'm just so excited. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for having me today and squeezing it in. It's so early in the morning. Life is crazy right now. (laughs) I would imagine you're almost to the finish line. You are almost there. Indeed. All right. So how long have you been uh, knowing that you inspired to run for city council? How did that happen for you? Well, I I have always been a political person. My mother used to take me to pro-choice marches. It was always like, there's a fight, go fight. (laughs) (laughs) And then in 2016, I got like super excited that Hillary was finally going to do it. And I was like, all right, I'm organizing my life so that I can go to Florida for Get Out the Vote. Mm -hmm. So I did that. My mother and I went to Florida. And we know how that ended. She actually won Florida, by the way. She did. We know how all of it unfolded in the weeks that followed. I was actually at the Standard Hotel the night of the election, and there was a drag show going on, and everybody's partying and getting drunk, and my mother and I are watching the map on the TV. And I finally turned to my mother. I was like, we have to go. Yeah. We can't be here for this. So we leave, and we wake up in the morning, and my, you know, hippie mother, who has, like, always been positive, it's always something we can get through, turns to me, and she goes... What are we going to do? And I was like, no, 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 no. My mother doesn't say that to me. Right. Right. So I came home and I was a screenwriter. I'm a WGA screenwriter and I've got these four kids. And I was like, well, I'm a woman in my 40s. No one's going to miss me if I stop writing movies. I'm not making a million dollars. I'm looking around the LA City Council. I'm looking at the assembly. There's no women in any of these seats. I know. I know. Like it was just nuts. And I was like, all right. I think we have a pipeline problem. I think America wasn't ready. We still have a lot of baggage. And the only way to solve that is fill the pipeline with great women. So I started just volunteering at every organization in town that was committed to finding great candidates and supporting great women candidates. And I ended up at the National Women's Political Caucus. Which is so important. Everyone Google that right now. Everyone Google (laughs) that right now. And uh, I was president of that uh, local chapter at LA Metro for over two years and during that time I was helping other women run and it was great and then I was sort of starting to see a fundamental problem with how our city operated because I was finally tapped into how our city works Mm. and I was seeing that 
the council was not doing its work on housing. The council was not doing its work on mobility. Like we had all these problems. And the more I listened to council rhetoric, I could hear it coming from my council member. Mm. And I went, okay, well, my job is to find great candidates. <laughs> so I went looking for great candidates. This is two and a half years ago. I'm like, you know what? He's a weak incumbent. I can find a great candidate. We're going to get behind this woman and it's going to be great. And I talked to four separate people who were whispering about doing this run. And at the end of every meal, they said, well, you've been here 20 years. You have four kids. You know a lot of people. You used to be a writer. You know the district really well. You do it. <laughs> and I said to my husband, I think I'm going to run for city council. And this was two years ago at that point. And I said, we're going to practice run. We'll do six months where I'm like not home half the week. And if our marriage survives that, we're going to run. <laughs> and we did that. And September 4th of 2018 rolled up. And that was the first day you could open a committee. So I opened a committee September 4th. We raised a ton of money by the end of the year. And I went, all right, we're going to go. Wow. So it's been over 18 months of knocking on doors and throwing meet and greets and Exhausting. phone banking and coming <laughs> and doing things like this. And it's been amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. been amazing. But now we're 10 days out and I'm ready to be 10 days out. Right. You're like ready to. <laughs> Let's go. Without a doubt. So I was reading your website, which is a great website. What I loved about your website was that it was like simple and to the point. But I heard your voice without even knowing you. Oh, I hadn't right. even like, I watched you like on YouTube. I saw a couple of things that you've done, like forums and things. And that was like after, but before I was like, this is really good. Like this is just straight into the point. So I've like told people about you to be like, because my entire neighborhood is all the incumbent signs and all of that. So I've been telling people like, no, maybe you should like think twice about this. And because it was really good. So Thank I gotta say. you. Well, I did that myself. <laughs> wow. That's, that's really yeah, good. Yeah. When I was like, there's an ex, you know, I took the matching funds. So I can only spend about $537,000 in this race. So mm -hmm. it's how do you watch every penny? Make sure you only spend it on, you know, voter contact, voter contact, voter contact. And I was like, well, we can save on building a website and writing the website because I know how to do that. <laughs> well, there you go. Of course, always women. We're multitasking. Always women. We do We're always all. multitasking. So what I loved was your housing, transits, and trees. Do you want to go into that a little sure, bit? Sure, sure. So as I was saying, like my first sort of understanding that something was fundamentally broken in this city was when... I was watching my friends leave town, friends with kids like mine saying, you know, I can't afford to stay here. Mm. And then I was watching the tents go up in the streets and my kids were saying, why are people sleeping in the street? And I fundamentally didn't have a good answer. Right. I mean, oh, because, you know, they hit a road bump and they lost an apartment and they're in the street is not the answer to that question. The right. answer to that question is what's wrong with our city? Right. So I started talking to homelessness providers. I started talking to builders. I started talking to everybody who worked in this world saying like, what is fundamentally happening here? And I got very deep into housing. I got into how we downzoned this whole city in the 90s. I got into the financial crisis of 2007, 2008. And I was like, why didn't my council wake up to the fact that we need half a million housing units in this city? Mm -hmm. And the more I started talking to people who work in housing and urban planners, they were like, yeah, but we need that housing. But obviously the other piece of that housing is if we build half a million new units, we cannot have a million new cars in our streets. Mm. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, right. We also screwed up transit. <laughs> a long, long time ago. We also did, well, honestly, we, we just sort of did two stages. First, we pulled out all the streetcars that used to be across the entire county. We had a better transportation map here in LA County than New York had. Mm -hmm. Like you could get anywhere. We pulled out all the streetcars. And then we didn't replace them with anything but cars. And then Lyft and Uber came in. And we'd already had the 2007, 2008 crisis where we yanked all our bus service. Mm -hmm. So we drove all these people back into cars. And 
I'm just sitting here going, but we have all these streets that used to have streetcars. Why don't we have protected bus lanes? You know, where are the bike lanes they promised us? Every other city in the world is rolling out protected bike networks and getting people out of their cars. Right. So then I was like, housing, transit. Oh, now we're talking about climate. Right. You know, oh, great. And where'd our trees go? And why don't we have pocket parks everywhere? Oh, it's because we overparked our city. We have 18 million parking spots for 5 million people. Why would we do that? Right, right. So it's just these little things that goes to the next thing. They go next, to the next thing, thing, next thing. And then you've got a programmatic, programmatic jobs plan. You've got a programmatic economic driver. You've got a programmatic climate action plan. You've got a social justice plan. All of it is housing, transit, trees, informs the whole thing. Right. And it was just an easy way to talk about a healthy city. Yeah. No, it was, it was genius. Oh, housing, transit, you. <laughs> I'm like, if you say it quickly, that's the thing in politics. You got to say it quick. Yeah. And when you think of the candidate, that's what you want to think of. So, you know, that, that was great. So let's go a little bit deeper into the homeless problem. Because I left Los Angeles in like 2008. And when I left, there was issues with homeless, but it wasn't I moved back in 2015 officially and I was, I couldn't even believe it. Like I was blown away by how dirty and it just, I, I mean, and it's just growing. It's growing by the day. And it's really crazy because I think here in Los Angeles, here in California, we pay the highest tax rate. We pay the tax. So it's like, what is going on? And, you know, I am a Democrat. I'm a proud Democrat and I'm not trying to, you know, make it hard for these people, but it's a safety issue and it's a, it's a, um, like a clean issue, you know? I mean, so go deeper into the homeless problem. Absolutely. So we had in this district alone, a 53% bump in homelessness in one year. Oh my God. It's insane. It was the biggest spike in the entire city. And you got some of the richest, by the way. This <laughs> is a really wealthy district. Hancock Park, Sherman Oaks, yeah. all the hillsides. I mean, that's, we have the mayor who lives in this. The district. mayor lives in this district. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And what's shocking about this is, for me, the lack of understanding about what is happening. Because mm-hmm. for most people who are sleeping in our streets tonight, they didn't land there because they are so addicted to whatever is driving their day. They didn't land there because they are so mentally ill. They landed there because our housing crunch has made it impossible to lose an apartment and find another apartment. Mm -hmm. When I moved here 20 years ago, I moved because rent was cheap and I had a $300 apartment and my best friend from childhood also had a $300 apartment. And she never paid her rent. She was bipolar. She constantly got evicted. She always found another apartment. Right. But now you lose an apartment. It's gone because... Again, we downzoned our city. We didn't build enough housing. Mm-hmm. So we're watching rents spike through the roof. Mm-hmm. We're watching home sales spike through the roof. I mean, even in this very, very wealthy neighborhood, mm-hmm. most people don't own the houses here. It's mostly renters. Yeah. Because they can get $5,000 a month together to pay rent, but right. they can't get the down payment. And that is a function of a city that is, that is just fundamentally broken. So when I was talking to providers, I was saying, what's happening? What do we need? And the way we roll out homelessness services in this city is we triage the people with the highest needs first. If you are chronically homeless, which means you've been homeless multiple times, and you need wraparound care, you're the people we can get to. Mm-hmm. But because we have so many people on the sidewalk now, 37,000 people in this city, our homelessness outreach teams are overstretched. They can't service, and they can't even triage properly. And we can't fill the jobs we need to do this. It's a growing field to be a homeless outreach worker. They can't do their work. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, talking to my friends who worked in outreach and talking to supportive housing providers, they kept saying, 
if we don't have people in place, we can't help them. And we can't build the housing overnight. We just simply can't. Right. We are a decade out from having our housing so solution solved. But we could have safe parking and safe camping with bathrooms and showers and services on site. And then we could enforce our sidewalk rules, which would allow business to continue to operate in this city. Because what I'm hearing consistently from small business and restaurants is we can't run our restaurant cafe mm -hmm. because my sidewalk is a bathroom. We can't. I can't do my trash collection in the alley behind my restaurant because people are sleeping in the alley. Mm -hmm. We're watching illegal dumping happening at the encampments because people think it's an excuse. It's already mm -hmm. people sleeping there. We'll just dump our trash. <laughs> right. We're seeing crime not even coming out of the encampments but going back into the encampments. They're unsafe. People are being killed. We're seeing fire attacks at the encampments. And from my perspective, a healthy city shelters all its residents and keeps its sidewalks clear. Right. And we can do both. Other cities are doing that. Seattle did it. Yeah. yeah it was it was a disaster um, where like the Seahawks played in Pioneer Square. And there's a lot of money that goes into Seahawks, you know, to go see a Seahawks game and family. And there was needles and it was just a mess. And that's exactly what they did. They gave a safe place with shelter and bathrooms because that's the other issue is the bathroom situation. Right. I mean, my cousin was coming to visit from Idaho. My little cousin, she's 16 years old at the time wanted to go to Hollywood Boulevard. Both my boyfriend and I were like, uh, maybe, maybe go somewhere, because we knew it would be dirty and just filled with home, because they, now they're on the sidewalks, but not just any sidewalks, like in main strips and me, and it's just a matter of, it's just unsafe and unsanitary. So yeah, it's definitely a deep, deep issue. That It's a fundamental crisis. Mm -hmm. And the problem is our city is getting angrier and angrier and angrier about it because we voted to uh, support a bond for supportive mm -hmm. housing and we also voted to support a sales tax hike for services mm -hmm. and the supportive housing money has basically been outlaid it's been budgeted but the housing is very slow to come online mm -hmm. we see a lack of political leadership in getting it built and cited mm -hmm. this council member in this district right now wants to hand all of his power for citing supportive housing to the mayor mm -hmm. which is just like what <laughs> You have the power to do this already. You're just afraid to do it. Do it. Stop Pull kicking the, the can. Yeah. Do the work. But that supportive housing was never supposed to absorb 37,000 people. Yeah. It was for the chronically homeless. Mm -hmm. We need a ton of affordable housing. We need a ton of mixed middle housing. We even need the market rate housing that is going on right now. Mm -hmm. Because in a city with sufficient housing, you don't need half a million dollars to service a person. I mean, I'm a landlord of some RSO units. We've got four units in Silver uh, in Los Feliz and four units in Atwater. And in one of my units, there is a man who has tinfoiled his entire apartment. Mm. Is he the most stable person in the universe? No, but he pays his rent and he's safe and he's indoors and he's keeping himself alive. And I would love if we had better social services connected to him. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, because he found an affordable apartment 10 years ago, right. he's safe. Right. And if we had enough affordable apartments, we wouldn't have a conversation about who deserves to be sheltered or not. Right. Everyone deserves to be sheltered. Right. So the question is, how do we get there? And since we know housing isn't coming soon, mm -hmm. then we have to start talking about alternatives to stability and safety and service. Right. Yeah. I couldn't, I agree with you 100%. So then let's move to traffic. Because when I lived here before, <laughs> it was like, like you say on your website, everything was 20 minutes away. I mean, like literally would be like, West Hollywood to downtown, 20 minutes 20 away. Minutes. I go to Santa Monica all <laughs> the time. Yeah. <laughs> I go to Malibu. It's like maybe 25, you know, like, so what is your solution for traffic? Like what, what is your hope for a solution? I should say. I think the fundamental thing to understand is that when we're in traffic, we are traffic. 
Like mm-hmm. we are the extra car. Right. Now, some of us don't mind that. Some of us will never let go of our cars. And that's cool. Yeah. Stay in your car. <laughs> but we have, because of the growing income disparity across this country and across this city, we have people coming to this city who are saddled with rent. They're saddled with health care costs. They're saddled with their school costs. They don't also want to carry a car, the maintenance, the insurance, all of that stuff. They need a better option. Mm -hmm. They need a bus that is reliable and convenient and comes every five minutes. They want a safe way to travel across town on their bike. Uh Other cities are doing this, right? Like San Francisco just closed Market Street to buses and bikes only. New York just closed 14th Street. Seville rolled out so much... uh, so much bike infrastructure, they've seen an 11-fold increase in cycling in Seville. Paris is ripping out all the interior parking in their city, and she's mm-hmm. just rolling out bike lane upon bike lane upon bike lane. That's not for, you know, the 80-year-old woman who loves her car. Mm-hmm. It's for the 30-year-old saying, I want to get across town. It's for the guy who works day, day gigs driving, you know, getting back and forth across the city. Mm-hmm. We could do that. We've been promised it for decades. We have a mobility plan, Mm -hmm. but we have a situation in which our council members have been slow to do the work because their electorate has been very small in off-year elections in this city. Mm -hmm. Very few people came to vote. Yeah, it's actually tragic. It's tragic. And it was a homogenous vote. It was a very, especially in this district, People who owned houses, were of a certain age, were tied into like, we love our, our low taxes. Yeah. Like, those are the people voting, which is great. I'm a homeowner. I get it. Yeah. But now with this presidential cycle, the hope is that in a city which is no longer a homeowner city, it's a 60% renter city, mm-hmm. that the conversation changes and we have a conversation about how do we service 100% of the people here. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like is to stop talking about certain people get this thing and certain people get that thing because I go into rooms all the time and people say, you can't build market rate housing on transit. No one will use the transit. And I'm like, okay, wait, in every other city in the world, yeah, people with money in their pocket get on the train or the bus oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. in every other city in the world. Yeah, when I lived in Seattle, that's what I used. They have a phenomenal system. In me- their metro system is like, and I looked around and I'm like, this is a really big city. Why can't LA get Why this? Why can't LA get this? I mean, you take a train to a... To a bus, every, the buses come every 25 minutes, every 20 minutes. They're clean. They're, you know, and everyone uses it. Everyone, everyone uses it. Everyone. Washington, D.C., no one uses the car in Washington, D.C. Right. Everyone drives up, uh, takes a bike, which they rent, you know, real soon. Yep. And it's a revenue for the city. And, you know, they take a bus, they take a train, metro, whatever it is. So you're absolutely correct. Why it's can't just, we? It's, it's a weird generational loss of memory because you talk to somebody who lived here their whole life and they're 75 and they'll say they remember the, the red the red cars. Mm. And then you talk to their grandkid and they're like, this isn't a transit city. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> this was the ultimate yeah. transit city. Yeah. There's there's a rumor about the streetcars that my boyfriend had told me is that um, Mitch... Michelin tires got involved with the streetcar, right? You've heard this story. I've heard this story. It's like a wives' tale, right? I think it's a wives' tale because I think we got to remember that we're dovetailing with this post-war boom and everybody got their bungalow and then there was one car in the front yard and then, you know, the cost of living was not so extreme and then you could get your wife her car in the 60s. And then suddenly everybody's got a car and that's freedom. But when you then fast forward 70 years and you're in your car for three hours sitting in gridlock Mm -hmm. that's not freedom anymore no right so what's freedom freedom is choice of movement and choice of movement is bus lanes trains bikes you know and for me as a city on the city council level the thing that the city council can do about that is at the simplest level 
a dash bus in every single neighborhood that runs every 10 minutes, not every 45. Mm -hmm. It's saying, all right, Metro is going to run a bus route through my neighborhood, my district, and we're going to have a protected bus lane in my district for that bus. Mm -hmm. It's getting serious about saying to people, I prioritize people, I prioritize safety over your ability to have a three-car highway down the middle of a neighborhood. I mean, when I'm knocking doors in Sherman Oaks, half of Sherman Oaks is going, I'm gridlocked in my in my house during rush hour I can't get out my driveway because I live too close to the 101 and the 405 and the other half is going like on Chandler my street is a highway I'm gonna kill someone if they go flying down my street that fast again right so it's like from both perspectives we need to change how our streets operate right right yeah there's no there's no excuse for it there's no I mean, excuse there's just, I mean we're killing people every day in our roads that's insane yeah it's, it's insane and like you said with Uber now and Lyft and it just pushes even more cars I mean it's, it's crazy. And in, in, in the green aspect, it's just not good. No, we're <laughs> dumping carbon into the air as we idle in traffic all day. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the funny wrinkle about Uber and Lyft is we have a new state law called AB5 that was written to protect Uber and Lyft and port drivers. And if that actually makes it through the courts intact, mm-hmm. we won't have Uber and Lyft anymore. Mm-hmm. They will not be able to afford to operate in a model in which they're paying their drivers as employees. Right. So then we're going to be standing in the street looking around for our transit going, you know, why don't we have a better option? Right. Get ahead of the game. Get Shocking. ahead of the game. <laughs> Shocking thing in politics. Shocking. <laughs> Getting ahead. You see the problem coming. So you're like, let me get ahead of that. Right. Right. You hey, never hey. do that. Here. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. So have you always, like you said, you in, been interested in politics? I know you said your mom was in, always involved. You were like the kid out there with the picket sign. Like, yeah, but I never thought I'd run for anything. Right. I didn't go to law school. Right. Like if you're going to run for something, if you're like a boy in this country and you're going to run for something, <laughs> you're like, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to go to law school and then I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do the internship and I'm going <laughs> to join the Marines for a year and I'm going to come back. Yeah. I didn't do that. I yeah. was like, I, there was a moment, there was a moment I took the LSAT. <laughs> and I did the whole thing. And then as I'm walking out of the room, I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. What mm. am I doing here? And I dumped it in the trash instead of like, <laughs> I did the whole like crazy pants. Right. So for me, it was, no, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a novelist. I ended up a screenwriter. Like this was not a thing. Yeah. But I do understand for me as a Democrat, I believe that government has a role to play in bettering people's lives. Mm-hmm. I just fundamentally believe that. Right. So when I then look around and I see my government not functioning. I see from my, you know, 44 year old female self, a country that still cannot accept that women should be in leadership. Yeah. <laughs> like I see all these things coming together. And then honestly, you just start meeting people who are elected mm-hmm. and they're no more special than anybody else. I know. They're just not. <laughs> and you have sort of the thing ripped away from your eyes where you're like oh wait these are just people in some case very smart in some cases less smart yeah but they're just regular people and yeah. I can learn things and I learned this stuff so fundamentally quickly mm-hmm. that I was sitting down with urban planners being like did you go to school for this and it's like no honestly I got on Twitter and read some smart people <laughs> right. you know when I started doing politics people would be talk to me as if we had been in the trenches for 10 years and we knew all the same people and I was like yeah that was six months of going to cocktail parties and handing out my card like none of this is right. rocket science <laughs> it's you not- just just go do it. Uh-huh. That's that's the key though. You just you go, go do, do it. it. How many people in in DC right now are just doing it on either right. side? Right. And that they talk about it and they talk about it and they talk and I do understand how hard it can be sure. in terms of lobbyists and the powers that be and all of that. And there's no such thing as bipartisan anymore, but 
You just go do it. You just go do it. And if people don't like it at the other end, well, this is a democracy. Vote you out. Right. So this is what I consistently say on this race. I'm like, look, I'm saying all this stuff and we're still, we still got all this momentum. We're still doing great. And I'm saying all this stuff that five years ago was impossible to say in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. which means the conversation has changed, which means there is a power base for all of it. And if you can go to city council and work collaboratively the way I was raised to work. I was raised by a Democrat and a Republican. Like 80s politics was gross. My mother was screaming at Reagan, but like people were still doing things. Yes. That's, that's, you know, and so I feel like this is how we should function here. Still do things. I can fight with you over policy at the council and still go to your kid's bar mitzvah. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. No, I know. That's what's crazy though. I, I grew up, it was like Bill Clinton and the impeachment. And I remember thinking back, like he was still going and meeting with Newt Gingrich. Right. Who was impeaching him and yes. was like shouting from the rooftops how horrible of a person he was, but they were still, I mean, they passed so much together at the end of the day. And it's like, where has that gone? Think like, about how much they hated Hillary when she got elected to Senate, and then she's the one who everybody loves the best. The best. I had a writing teacher once who said, it's not about your ideas, it's about your relationships. Relationships so over ideas. So true. And if you can get along with people, I mean, the thing I find so exciting about this campaign is that not only am I talking to people like you, who we could, we're just preaching to the choir, <laughs> but I will go to a coffee with somebody who says, my number one issue in this city is that it's a sanctuary city and that's destroying everything. And like, they're just talking about things that are so far to the right of me. Yeah. And I can say, great, what I can do as a city council member is X, Y, Z about housing and transit and trees. And like, that's a, di- you know, yeah. but we come to that thing and they go, okay, you have my vote. Bringing everybody to the table is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Now, if this were not a not, if this were a partisan race, I might feel differently. Right. But this is a nonpartisan race, and I think every piece of the conversation is the same. Right. Do I have other issues when we start to like give things away in the Democratic Party? Yes. Yeah. Like, do not give choice away. Choice right. is fundamentally to right. me in the Democratic Party. Right. But in a nonpartisan setting, every voice is important. Every vote counts, and we are trying to take everyone with us from every part of the spectrum because that's how you win a race Mm -hmm. that's exactly it I learned from Hillary that you take you can take one little thing from someone that you have in common with the person next to you and you go with that that is how she passed her foster care she went to a senator who she knew had adopted out of the foster care system she dug at that dug at that and next thing you know they have a bill and it turns into law exactly that's that's exactly that's exactly right and I had somebody once say to me there's something you can like about everybody Mm -hmm. and you start with the place you like that's true and I'm like great and that's how you network I mean this is my little tip for people who are afraid to network (laughs) you go to a party you find a person you decide the thing you like about them and then you go tell them that yeah oh that's really smart yeah 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 yeah, Yeah. that's very smart I like your blazer yeah yeah (laughs) figure it out and go make a conversation yeah 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 so let's talk a little bit about the National Women's Political Caucus. Yeah. I love them. They are a phenomenal the organization. Are you still involved with them? Or you I just break? stepped down in December because I was like, no, we have a, like, I'm no longer answering calls or emails and it's not fair for me to like be right, ignoring continue. you while I'm trying to run this race. Right. So in this uh, county, we have five separate caucuses and we have, I believe, 13 in the state and they ladder up to a state caucus. Mm-hmm. And I have just found it to be... It's very different than the other women's groups operating in politics. We do a, if you are credible, we will help you. Mm -hmm. And we will help you get to credibility, and then we will help you get to viability. And most other women's groups are, when you're viable, we'll come in. Like, that's how Emily's list. list. (laughs) I mean, they're great. They're a great organization. But yeah, that's exactly, you have to be, you have to be viable, which, what does that even mean anymore? What does that even mean anymore? So for me, it was great because what I loved about the 2018 cycle 
was the new kinds of candidates we were seeing. I mean, Lucy McBath, like, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, honestly, AOC, if there wasn't an idea that anyone can be credible, Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyone can be credible if we and if we can connect you to the right people and get you a network and then as women surround you. Mm -hmm. What I love about NWPC is the women at NWPC, for the most part, will surround you and be your army. Mm -hmm. And what I have found in other women's groups is that's not always the case. And it's not the fault of the women in the other groups. It's that the power structure is still male. Mm -hmm. And the way women get ahead is still with the help of men. Mm -hmm. So they owe people a lot when they right. get places. Right. And I want to build a power structure and a pipeline that allows a woman who even got up there because she got lifted up by the guy mm-hmm. to say, you know what? I'm going to turn around and return this to women. And I want to make sure there's enough women up here that they can pull the other women up. Right. And that's you know the thing that I've stood really, really hard on as I've been going through is there are a lot of men who have been helping me. And I have said at the outset, you know, even if it is, looks like a thing where the favor needs to be returned or they're going to try to do a thing later and they want my help, I will help you. You are my friend. You are qualified. You are all these things. But I'm not going to come in and necessarily endorse you against a great woman who comes forward because I have a life's work, which is we need a lot more women here. Yeah. We need yeah. a lot more women. So prove that you're better than her, but I'm going to have to help her. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> I get you. I understand. Yeah, this, this 2018 was, I felt like for the first time since, uh, 2016 that I could breathe yeah and for me I felt like all these amazing women all these moderate candidates all these like because there's always this noise of the Democrats lost control of the extreme left all of the, just yeah. all of these remarkable women and then I really felt like I could breathe when Pelosi became Speaker of the House again yes. because I felt like mom's back in control mom's in charge you know I grew up in the Bay Area so her name has been constant yeah. in my life just like Feinstein's and yeah uh you know I just felt like she can handle this yeah she's got this and I and I have great faith that she's going to get us keep the house uh and it's hard it's, it's hard a, it's a hard as you know running yeah. for office is hard you're I mean, but she's, I've never seen anybody do it like her. Oh my God. No one does that. She's amazing. She eats dark chocolate for breakfast. I'm told, uh, she doesn't drink at all. No drinking, no alcohol. She just drinks tea and she sleeps like four hours a night. See, this is amazing. She's in like five states in a day sometimes. And she flies coach. I I mean, she's amazing. She's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. And that's a thing that I think that we don't expect enough of our electeds because she's setting the bar. Oh my God. And so you know what? You had suddenly have all this power mm-hmm. and you're making decisions that will affect people's lives and we should be holding you to a really high standard. Yeah. And if you don't do your job, you should go. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's my basic feeling. <laughs> I feel I feel the same way too. And if you, yeah, if you don't do your job, you should go. And if you're not willing to play nice with others, then yeah. you should go. Then because you should go. that's what Pelosi does so well is she right. can play nice with others. I mean... The fact that she's able to like go into the Oval Office and have any sort of conversation. I mean, I don't know if I could. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I can't turn on the radio. I mean, I will literally, if certain voices come on my Me radio, too. I turn Me. them off because I'm trying to stay sane. Me too. I push mute. I, <laughs> yeah. don't, I don't watch any. Everyone's always like, you don't watch any. I don't, oh, watch, I don't watch any. any no MSNBC. None of it. None no of it. Nothing. You know, the only thing that I do see is like my boyfriend in the morning, he watches stuff, but like the rest of it. I get like LA Times newsletters, New York Times newsletters. I get like a little NPR, whatever, but no, I do not watch Fox, CNN, MSNBC. My husband religiously MSNBC and I'm like, thank God I'm out of the house all the time because I'm not watching it. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. yeah, There's a lot of Rachel says in my house and I'm like, I love her. She's brilliant, (laughs) but I can't. (laughs) Right, right, right. 
what a great husband you have. He's, he's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful husband. He believes all the right things. Right, right, right. <laughs> all right, obviously. So you are endorsed by the former Congresswoman Katie Hill, who I think is a remarkable woman. She's and remarkable. She, this isn't the end of her. She's got no. a bright... She was doing so much amazing work on the Hill. I just have to say that about her. And it's so sad. And she was... To me, one of the women who won in, won in 2018 and came in and said, I'm looking at Pelosi and what Pelosi's doing, and I'm going to stand in the room with Pelosi, like Lauren yes, Underwood. Like and Lauren Lucy Underwood, Mucca, yeah. All of them, these like smart girls who just said, I'm going to just follow her. Right. And I thought, and so how amazing for you to get that endorsement of Katie, Katie Hill. I adore Katie Hill. Mm-hmm. When she started running for her seat, because I was NWPC and the way it works is we vet the candidates down here, but the national endorses national candidates. Mm. And I spent months, like months, calling DC, being like, come on, guys, it's time. You gotta help her, you gotta help her, you gotta help her, you gotta. Every room I was in with her, I was like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. And she went to DC as the candidate that I think needs to be in DC. DC has to operate in the center. Mm-hmm. This is a big country. <laughs> Like, it's okay if California wants to experiment as far to the left as it wants to go yeah. because we're a state and we get to try things. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. But seeing a candidate like Katie, whose mom is a nurse, whose dad is a cop, who grew up in her community, who reflects exactly what her community is, who has then run a homelessness outreach concern for a really long time, yeah. go to D.C. and immediately say, like, I know, I know what to do and I know how to bring it home for my community. Mm-hmm. And then watching what happened to her. I know. Was again that it was like it was like the blowback to Obama being like we're gonna go to Trump. The blowback mm-hmm. to all these new amazing women candidates was who can we pull down? Mm-hmm. And watching that happen, watching it happen to her was just like oh my god. And I'm you know texting her all the time I'm like I'm thinking about you. It's gonna be like you'll get through. And she will. And now she started a new pack and it's amazing. I know, yeah. But I had a voter get my <laughs> one of my mail pieces last week and he took a picture of the endorsements here and he put on Twitter and it got retweeted like 72 times. <laughs> and I was like, what? Only a crazed left-wing feminist lunatic Democrat would put this on her mailer. And oh I was like, God. all right, now I need a t-shirt <laughs> that, that exactly says all that. those things. Take that tweet and put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally do that because... If she's, I mean, no, she's smart. She's like Hillary always says, smart power. Smart she's smart power. power. And another one that you have is the up and coming Congresswoman Katie Porter. I mean, oh, Katie Porter. Can we she, talk about Katie Porter? We could talk all you want about Katie Porter. I love this woman. Okay, I, so I know Katie Porter a little bit because I was close to, I am closest to Erica Kwiatkowski, who was her campaign manager, uh-huh. who I adore. Yeah. Adore. And, uh, Vote Mama, which is run uh, by a woman out in New York who ran for Congress and then was the woman responsible for getting child care as an allowable expense for mm-hmm. your uh, political camp uh, fundraising. She has Katie Porter on her board. And so, like, I called them and I was like, I'd love an endorsement. And they were wonderful and we had a great conversation. They endorsed me and then they said, we're doing an event in, I think it was Mar Vista, Katie Porter's going to be there. We want her to endorse you publicly in front of all these people. Oh. And I was like, are you joking? <laughs> really? <laughs> so we had this like amazing thing where they did a fundraiser for Vote Mama. And I was there. And Katie gave a whole speech about me and why she was endorsing me. Wow. And it was amazing. And I was like, if nothing else happens in my life, right, that- <laughs> you know, this is it. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. She's so She's also smart power. Mm-hmm. She goes into a room and she's like, I know who I have to take down and I yeah. know who I have to protect yeah. and I will work with everybody. And she goes into rooms like when people were angry about 
what was happening? Oh, it was the funding for ICE for the uh, detention centers mm-hmm. was going through Congress. And she had, she was explaining to a room I was in about why the vote was taken to continue funding. And she's like, you got to understand, we're not continuing funding because we like ICE. We're continuing funding because that's literally the food and the blankets in the detention right. centers. Right. Like you have to understand it's not always all or nothing. But to a lot of people it but, is. But it. to a lot of people it is. And mm-hmm. she's so good at explaining that. She's so great. That she took an, a room that was vibrating with anger about these votes mm-hmm. and was like, you got to understand. Yeah. There are still people in detention. Yeah. And they need blankets. Right. They need food. I'm fighting yeah. to get them out of detention. Right. But they need blankets while they're there. Right. And it's again, it's like we want all the same stuff, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of steps. And that's not incrementalism. It's not this like crazy word of like you are complicit or you are collaborating. Mm-hmm. No, you're trying to make change in a way that is like you teach a baby to walk. Right. You right. have to get no. forward. Exactly. Exactly. That's, I look at it as like, like um, Obamacare. Yes. Right? That was the first step. I truly do not think that he thought that he it wasn't going to be a Democrat after him. Right. He thought just like Bill Clinton with a crime bill. He thought there was there was a need. The community was coming to him and saying, "Please help." In Compton and Oakland and all of, and he helped them, thinking there's going to be a Democrat next, or even if it's a Republican, they're not going to continue with this. They'll right. slow it. But instead, we got W. Bush, and here we are with Obama. He really thought like this is the first step. It's not perfect. And we all you know? thought this. We all thought it. And let's like let's like even take that step a little bit further. It's like he got to do Obamacare because Hillary Clinton got nailed for talking about it way earlier <laughs> and now we get to talk about medicare for all yeah which was never on the table right until we had obamacare and right. that's how change works in this country right and it's how it's always worked mm-hmm. and for better or worse this is the system we built and this is the system we're in yeah so now we work the levers of power in this system right right i know it's a it's a long process and people i understand these days when everything is coming to us instantly yeah. why it's like wait what you know because i think like i think back on like the civil rights movement and i'm like would you guys have been patient for that because it didn't all come at once it right. came piece by first it was the voting then it was the you know it came piece by piece by piece so that's how great governing works that's how great leadership works that's how change stays stays solid mm-hmm. if you just do something quickly 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 you unroll it quickly 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 right but if you don't have a base of cultural support for the thing that you are doing you cannot hold on to it exactly exactly so do you have any aspirations past city council no this is it this is it this is the, the my husband growth. keeps going and someday when you and I'm like no no <laughs> no I think for me there are people who want to live in Washington. Mm-hmm. There are people who want to live in Sacramento. I, I'm a real policy wonk, and I want to see the change that I can imagine actually affecting people that I live with and that I see, and I want to see my city change and know I did that and that I helped. Yeah. And I think that God bless everybody who wants to go do the bigger other stuff. Mm-hmm. But my brain has always been a very practical, pragmatic, I see a pothole, how do I get the pothole fixed brain? Right. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> my husband has, you know, we call him uh, Mr. Big Dreams. Like, <laughs> he figures out the big thing, and I'm always like, how do we do that thing? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, here's how we do a thing. My staff makes fun of me because I'm always like, I have a new system. Like, every day, it's like, I figured out a better way to do the thing we're doing. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's my brain. Right. And the power that this city council has is outsized to any city council in the country. Oh, yeah. This it's city, insane. any position, I mean, it's it's insane, especially this district that you're in. District. Yeah. It's a, an important district. I mean, it's the heart. 
pretty. A it's big the heart chunk. of Los Angeles. It All is. the places you'd want to live in this city <laughs> are here in this district. I know. I was looking at it. and I was like, oh my god, and it's my own district. It's but your I didn't district. Know. I didn't know. It's so badly gerrymandered, and the yeah. council does that themselves. So mm. that's like there are things we need to fix. Right, right. You are like uh, Leslie Nope. You do you ever watch Parks and Recreation? <laughs> Everybody keeps telling me I'm like <laughs> Leslie Nope, and I'm like, yeah, I guess maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm Leslie Nope too, but a little bit outside of my city. You know what I mean? But you are like, no, I want to stay here and I want to work. It's like this is your Pawnee. This and- is my Pawnee. And I got to tell you, now that there's so much different political television on TV, we'll have days that are so insane that'll be like, oh, this was our Veep day. Right. We'll have days where I'm like, this is our, you know, what's that show with Robin Wright? I'm like, this is our whatever. Oh, well, I haven't pushed anybody into the train yet. But like, these are the days where not. I'm like, oh, yeah. we're in a. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's what we all do. We're all yeah. like, yeah, Veep, we have Veep days. You have Parks and Recreation. You have, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. The best days are the West Wing days. The best days are the West Wing, the West Wing days. days. I mean, yesterday I had a West Wing day. Oh. I threw a meet and greet in Sherman Oaks and it was raining and I thought no one's gonna come like it was just in a coffee coffee shop yeah and the first woman who came came because she'd been living in her car for five years and then the next people who came were some homeowners in Sherman Oaks who hated that people are parking in their cars outside their house and so we got to have a conversation with me and this woman who lived the experience and these people were having the opposite experience and it was just this is West Wing. This, like my God, this yeah. is what it is. And also, you know, I'm the kind of woman who like tries to talk on a treadmill and falls on the floor. So yeah. like, I get, <laughs> right. We, we, but it's there are moments of grace like that where you're like, oh, this is why I'm doing this. Right. This is why I'm doing this. Right. And then there's the days where like you, you know, find out that. I mean, I could talk to you about some things that have happened in the women's groups here when we're no longer on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. I know. I understand what you mean because that's what we love to do. That's right. right. We, we love to do certain things to each other to make it a little bit harder. So speaking of, let's talk about the importance of being represented on all levels of government and why yes. you coming in with no other women is so important. It's really important to me to think about the fact that, like, we wouldn't have – any conversation about paying for childcare while you're running for government if we hadn't had a candidate running for Congress being like, how am I supposed to do this? Mm-hmm. Men don't have that concern. They have a spouse at home. Right. Right? They don't even ask them. They don't even ask. <laughs> like, where's like, your kid? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and we were talking about the foster care system. And I don't know if this is nationally, but here in L.A., if you uh, are a foster kid and you are fostered by someone who's not related to you, that person gets funding to support you. Mm-hmm. If you get fostered into your grandmother or your aunt or your you know, mm-hmm. grandfather's care, they don't get funding. Yeah. So we are incentivizing fostering people out of their families. Right. right. No woman drew that plan, right? right? <laughs> if we had right. w- more women overseeing things like that, like, no, 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 you'd get an extra bump. Mm-hmm. You'd get more money if you would take your own family. Right. right. You know, we yeah. have we have a situation in this city where we are watching people lose their apartments because they're the only person on the lease, and then they have a, you know, a family member in crisis who lost an apartment, and that family member is sleeping on the couch, and people lose their lease. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we are not thinking about things in, a, in the fundamentally same way mm-hmm. that the the male strictures think about things. Right. They don't wake up in the morning and think, how do I get my kids to all the stuff and make the lunches and pick them up? And what time does the babysitter come? And how am I getting the laundry done? Because that's just not the way our society was built. For better or for worse, the cognitive load is still on us. And even in an economy when men and women are working, the cognitive load is still on us. And we see 
all the little details of the thing and we don't have enough women up there looking at all the little details of the thing and saying this doesn't make sense right this right. doesn't make sense right we and we show up and we do our job because it's ingrained in us that if we don't do our job, then we're going to lose our job. And, right. you know, men don't think like that. They don't think like that. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing of like, I started running a race two years ago, which I filed for over 18 months ago because I'm a woman and I had to go out there and be like, there's already a candidate. There's already a candidate. Yeah. There's already a candidate like this for 18 months. And a guy wakes up on Wednesday and the election is next Tuesday mm-hmm. and like, great, let's go vote for him. And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We I have know. to work harder. Yeah, we do. Yeah. It's backwards and in heels. Like that's what that's it is. What, backwards that, and that's in what heels. Obama said about Hillary, that yeah. she does everything because she does everything backwards and in heels. And then Hillary added, and two hours earlier, because I got to put makeup on. You right. know? <laughs> well, seriously, you know how much time I spend factoring in like, can I get to dry bar tomorrow right. because I have four events and the next thing? Right. Yeah. They, men don't think They don't that. think like that. There's a certain candidate running for president and he never thinks about the way that he looks. Ever. <laughs> he doesn't put a comb through his hair. No. Like just from like just... <gasps> I mean, I can't even imagine if Hillary would go out like that. I remember after the election, she did her first event for the Children's Defense Fund, and she had no makeup on. And I remember everyone on Twitter was like, oh, my God. And I was like, wait, guys go out every day without. Well, and this is the thing. It's like whether or not you are a fan of a particular candidate, I mean – the thing that bugs me is watching people nail AOC for what she wears. Yeah, yeah, And, like, yeah. she is trying so hard to meet your definition of what a female candidate should look like and a right. female congresswoman should look like. Yeah. And when she does it, you nail her for spending the money on it. It's like, but you're making her do that. She right. can't go in jeans There's and a T-shirt. No yeah, yeah, yeah. She There's loses. No. She mm-hmm. cannot win. And it's like, this is how I see a lot of women running for these seats. And I was like, you know what? Let's just go call it out and do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to fit the role. You have that. to fit I mean, the role. And if you don't, then you get, but men are, you know, they're allowed to have affairs and no one cares. They're oh, allowed to have absolutely. photos of them. <laughs> I mean, when we started this race, because we're running a serious campaign, like we have a researcher, we have a pollster, we mm-hmm. have all the things you're supposed to have to run a race. Right. And they were like, what are we going to find on you? And I was like, again, Leslie, nope. <laughs> yeah. <You're> like- <laughs> Maybe some unpaid parking tickets. Right. So the stories that like when I hear the whispers that the other campaigns are whispering about me, the, the whispers are like, she has unpaid parking Oh tickets. my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Right, like, right. Like if that's what you got, like, right. okay. But they could spin that. They could no. spin. That's oh, what's crazy totally. about well, it. Well, it's kind of amazing because like the things I can say about the incumbent, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot there. There's a lot. There's a lot there. There. Yeah. There, there usually is with the men. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There usually is with the men because mm-hmm. they get to apologize for a lot of stuff that women don't oh, get everything. to apologize for. They can apologize and they can keep their job. Their women, jobs, their families, their everything. Everything. Their wives. Their, yeah. Yeah, the their elected deal. seats that we're all paying for. Exactly. That's what people need to remember. We pay them. We pay We pay them. everyone in taxpayers to work for us. Yes. They work for us. We do not work for them. And that's what I keep saying. I'm like, people will say, oh, you're running against the incumbent or why do you want his seat? And I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. When did this become his seat? This is our seat. Yeah. This is all of our seats. It's District 2 seat. Yeah. This is District 4 seat. Yeah. This is our, this is our seat. Yeah, exactly. So who from the political arena inspires you? I mean, honestly, since I was in college, Hillary Clinton. Right. Hillary Clinton. And I remember... I remember being the person who got so angry at the whole cookies controversy. Oh I was like, why are we expecting her to, like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, I was, at, what's really crazy is that's when my, like, love affair with her started. I was in third grade, and they were running, and I remember I was watching the news, and I heard her say that, and I thought, 
wow, that's like amazing that that's she amazing. said that. That was like amazing. And I just knew. And then when I was in third grade, uh, Bill Clinton won and all of that. And we had to write a letter to Bill. And everyone loved Bill. You remember right, those I days? Remember. And I loved yeah. him too. But yeah, like, complicated you know, as he is. As yeah. complicated as he is. Very complicated. Very smart, complicated man. But I wrote, a, I raised my hand and I said, can I write my letter to Hillary? Because I think she's going to be president one day. Aww. And I wrote her this letter and my teacher made a copy of it without me knowing. And when everything continued with me on my journey, my mom had the letter oh. and was like, and every, you know, so my, That's I, I'm with you. She's, I she's mean, amazing. she's amazing. I remember when she ran the first time against Obama and she did the glass ceiling speech mm-hmm. and I was driving around the car, I was in Griffith Park with my husband and my kids and the speech was on the radio and the kids started talking and he started to turn down the radio and I started screaming, everybody shut up, turn off the radio. And I'm weeping in the car and I'm like, we're going to. So when she finally, like when it happened the next time, I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. We are so ready. Yeah. 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 And that was, that was, it was the perfect storm. It was the perfect you know? storm. I mean, it was, it was. It was rough and then tumbled, but I just, I look, like I say this to my listeners all the time, I look at the, I didn't think it was possible for me to love her and be more inspired by her, but her quote unquote losing, <laughs> we'll call it that, uh, and it handling so it, it, but the way she's handled it yep. and the way that she still is out there doing her thing and not caring what anyone thinks is just like, yeah. oh, like if I, like I wasn't going to watch the inauguration, for example. Right. And then I heard that she was going. Yeah. And I was like, you got to be effing kidding me. Right, like right. she's going. And I remember I watched it and I saw her and I started bawling instantly. And my boyfriend was like, it's okay. And then when she, Bill took her hand and she took a breath for a second before she walked out, I yeah. thought, oh my God. Like, yeah. you know, but she still did it. She and still she, did And it. she went to the brunch afterward. Right. I mean, what, <laughs> what I think is amazing is... We would be in a completely different space as a country if she were president. Mm-hmm. And she would have changed so many people's lives. Yeah. But she wouldn't have changed the government. No. Because having a female president would not have opened a lot of doors for women in leadership. Because I think our country, we had a black president and our country was like, close yeah, the doors. Yeah, compla- we got complacent. And we complacent. were like, oh, done. Like, we're good. Her we made it. not yeah. being able to become president allowed Katie Hill to stand up, Katie mm-hmm. Porter to stand up, Lucy McBath, Lauren Underwood. Like, these are people who stood up because they were like, oh, we are mad as hell and we yeah. have a solution and we are going to bring change. Yeah. And they wouldn't have felt that need if she had won. It's very true. And Pelosi wouldn't have, like, gone so gung-ho. Right. Like, pick, like women candidates and fighting for that, like, all right. of that. She said she would have retired, so it would have been a whole different whole different arena but I mean amazing sweet. amazing but. I mean think about poor poor Ruth Bader Ginsburg who can never retire I, I mean I like I I say it to my listeners constantly like don't tell me that you love RBG if you're gonna vote third party or right. if you're gonna like throw away your vote like you did in 2016 you can't you can't claim her then yeah you know what I mean like yeah. do you understand like this is our last shot as a society to make sure that her seat is safe right so she can retire so she can re- the woman deserves to retire help the woman retire <laughs> it's like I mean and it's just I can't even imagine him picking her replacement because it makes me sick to my stomach because everything she's fought against is what he's for. And I just like anyone who's thinking of voting third party or sitting this one out, I'm just like, how dare how dare you? Right. At the end of the day, as much as I have my feelings about candidates I love and candidates I don't love, I will stand up in November and vote blue no matter who it is. Yeah. Because we are in an existential federal crisis. Yeah, it's 
and Senate too. Like that's the thing. The Senate's a big deal. Senate's a huge, and a we have a huge chance. deal. We, we have a do chance. have a chance. We have a real chance to take we it do. back. And if we have the Senate and the House, and God forbid, forty-five were to get another, we have we have, we have a, walls we have a wall. there. You know? Exactly, we have a wall. So that that's what I keep. Yeah, RBG is like the big ticker for me because yeah. I'm like, how dare you? Any of you claim her? Right. You don't get to claim her as the notorious RBG right. if you're not willing to put in the work. And, and the you work have is to literally... understand the other side did the work for 30 years. Exactly. That's why they control the courts. Exactly. So exactly. we need to now dig in. We got 30 years of work ahead of us. Yeah. Get serious. Exactly. It, that's exactly what it is. I mean, there's there's a potentially he, Trump could pick five seats in his course if he gets second. I mean, that's, I, I can't even. I mean, you can't see my face right now. I've like gone still. <laughs> my eyes are rolling back into my head. It's horrifying yeah. to think about. It's, it's, it's my worst nightmare. I like, I can't even, every time there's an RBG update on my phone, I'm like, what's going Wait, on? Wait, is she okay? Is she okay? <laughs> Please, like, what's going on? But but she's she was just uh, in D.C. the other day getting an award, and she looked amazing, and she sounded amazing, so clear-headed and just on it, so, you know, but. Yeah, I'm not particularly religious, but she is, like, my spark of, like, there must be something out there keeping right. RBG alive. <laughs> there has to be. There has to be, because she's had so many four, health challenges. Four, and, and she just had pancreatic cancer, and my grandma actually just passed away. Oh, I'm and sorry. And she, thank you, she was gone within six months. Right, pancreatic cancer. Is no joke. Is no joke. Yeah. She's and had yet it somehow. <laughs> she's had it twice. So, I, I, I mean, thank whatever God, thank you, for mm-hmm. because we can't. But this is it. This is our last chance to this fix that. This is our last this is chance. It. So who else in other arenas inspire you? Non-political? Non-political. I wish I could say I had other... You know, it's all... I mean, it's just... Wow, okay. I, I love, I love not... I mean, for me, you do this or you are a selfless nonprofit leader who has given your life to whatever cause yeah. or or you're an extraordinary novelist plugging away. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a teacher in when I was in grad school named Sigrid Nunez who continues to write perfect novels and I never get to read anymore (laughs) ever (laughs) but like the light in the tunnel is if I'm sitting on a train or a bus and I get to like read a thing and Sigrid Nunez is a person who I just have extraordinary respect for because she's just continued doing the work and she will she is acknowledged by other writers and she's acknowledged by literary critics but she should be acknowledged by the entire country mm-hmm. and again like women writers don't get what men writers get right so right. you know it's always for me it's like the women doing the work in any arena are the ones yeah. that I'm like yeah okay right but god forbid you're a woman who says you're doing the work and you're not doing the work because then I have no patience right no I agree with you that it sets us all back <laughs> then I'm yeah. done I'm like nope <laughs> right 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 so what has entering this uphill battle against the covenant there's always an uphill battle when you're going to come taught you personally so far well what's interesting is I, I hate reframing questions I always feel like I should answer the no, question no you're fine <laughs> in this particular case it's not a, an uphill battle uh-huh. the voters in this district don't know his name oh okay because they're new voters oh okay I mean I'm literally knocking on doors where people are like who <laughs> and if they do know his name I'll do my whole spiel at the door and they'll be like who are you running against and I say his name and they go oh you should have led with that Okay, well, there you so go. So I'm like, so that has not, the, the you know, the uphill part is the machine that is behind him. That's what I mean. There's and a big machine. The behind. machine is different than he. Yeah. Um, what I have learned is I'm not afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. I can go into any room. I can talk to any person. I mean, you should have seen me go into the Fed and say what I said to the Fed and go to LACDP and say what I said to LACD. I mean, I will go anywhere and I will fight. Yeah. And that is the thing that uh, I didn't know about myself 
until I came and did this because I used to be a screenwriter. You go pitch a project about like three women doing a thing and they're like, well, what if it was two men and a girl who was in love with one of the men and you go, oh, okay, is that, a, you know, like, will mm-hmm. you pay me? Right, right, right. And now I'm like, no, you know what? Like, I believe these things. I want to hear what you think about them because maybe they can inform this better and tweak the idea and, oh, I can see what you're talking about. But I am fighting for this for the reasons I'm fighting for this and you cannot make me say something I don't believe. I have twice in 18 months prevaricated Mm -hmm. and I couldn't sleep the next day Mm. so now I know about myself that like no you go you talk you figure out the way to talk to anybody about the thing that you think is important Mm -hmm. and I can talk to somebody about how we're going to help our homeless Angelinos whether they are a bleeding heart liberal or a Trump forever voter Mm -hmm. and still get to the same thing which is we are going to help homeless Angelinos right so that 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 I can do that that I can walk into any space and be safe and not feel afraid and not want to die before I do it and not right. want to die after right right right, right. <laughs> now that's a big thing especially for women We're for told women to stay it's hard. quiet and just sort of wait for someone to approach us and yeah so that's an amazing gift that's an amazing it's gift. it's been great for me because I'm like this is what I'm modeling for my kids like exactly. you show up and you fight and you do the right thing and you show up in every room whether they're gonna like you or they're gonna hate you you go right. anyway right they must be enjoying seeing you do all this. My sons are totally in it. Yeah. Totally into it. My 11-year-old daughter likes it because her friend's parents are like getting the mail and telling <laughs> her about it. My 13-year-old has been very like, I just want you to like, you know, I'm 13, you're supposed to be around. And I get that. Like mm. that's a real challenge. But she also the other day said to me in the car, I really hope you win. And I was like, wait, what? You <laughs> do? And then she goes, because if you lose, it'll be such a waste of time. Oh. And I started laughing, but I was like, you know what? It won't be. It won't be because we will have changed the trajectory for so many people just by being out here and fighting really hard. Mm -hmm. And I believe because we've realigned these elections to the federal cycles, Mm -hmm. if we get even one candidate or two candidates through this cycle, we get more the next. We get more the next. Mm -hmm. We change this city. And when this city operates like a healthy city should, it changes everything for the whole country Mm -hmm. because this is the city that creates what America is. We are the people who write the culture right here. Right. And so when we say this is how it works better, mm-hmm. the country follows. Right. It's really hard to convince others in flyover countries. That, I don't like using that word, but you know what I mean. Middle America. Um, that certain like Democrat ways or more left-leaning ways are the way when it's not working. When it's here. not working. And then they have that to use against us. Absolutely. You know, because that's and what I see, you know. Absolutely. And I go, I spent ha- uh, half my life in a small community in Northwest Colorado, which is a coal community that became a fracking community. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot of friends who have very different political ideas than I have. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, I can't say it works better here. The cost of living is too high and we've got people sleeping on our sidewalks. Right. But I can say that people have work here that mm-hmm. they don't have there. Right, they have opportunity here yeah. that they don't have there. Yeah. So if only the work and the opportunity came with people being safely sheltered <laughs> and we can get there. Right. <laughs> In a decent act time. Yeah, we can yeah. get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's also like California as a whole is struggling. California yeah, as a whole, the whole the, uh, homeless and back home in the Bay Area is just like it's actually worse than it is here, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. But, but it's crazy because everyone looks to us. Everyone looks to California as like this beacon of light, and you know, and it's we're struggling right now. We're struggling, and we need we need us we need a we need to be more nimble. Mm-hmm. I think we have great intentions at every level of government in the state and we put out a thing like for instance AB5 it's a great rule for port drivers and Uber and Lyft and I 
fully in support of AB5. And then I look around and all my friends who are writers and campaign staff and gig musicians, they're losing work. Mm-hmm. And it's really bad. And we have to fix AB5 and we have to do it this legislative session and it has to happen now. Mm-hmm. Or like what we did here in the city with the Airbnb rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shut down party houses. That's not okay. <laughs> but do you know how many retirees just lost their income because we told them they could only rent the rooms 120 days a year? Right. I mean, people are crying to me. They're going to lose their houses. Mm-hmm. I had somebody come up to me who said, this rule means I can't keep my house. And I called the council member and said, I'm going to lose my house. And the council member said, sell your house. That's not the answer. Mm. The answer is responsible people who needed income from their own property should be able to control their own property. And party house operators should have the book thrown at them. (laughs) They're different people. Yeah, completely different people. (laughs) So we have to be nimble and we have to be honest and we can't be so cynical and say, well, you know what? We're not going to do Airbnb anymore because that's the cause of our housing crisis. No, it's not. The fact that the council decided to build no housing for 30 years is the cause of our housing (laughs) crisis. Let's be honest. It's not developers. It's not Airbnb. It's not the hoteliers. It's literally the council. Right, right, the council. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, really quick, just going to ask you some fast questions. Okay. So favorite place to eat in Los Angeles? Farfalla. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very good. Favorite place to shop? Do I get to shop? Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Leslie Nope shops. Even shops. Leslie Nope shops. I'm trying <laughs> to think of the last time I shopped. I like to walk up and down a Hillhurst because there's like always great little jewelry or, you know, something mm-hmm. like a new person selling somebody new in one of their shops. Right. And for me, I can then also like get my nails done. Right. There you go. Win-win. <laughs> All right. So if you have a free day back in the day when you had a free day, where was your place that you would love to go? I would like to sit in uh, my little office in my house oh. and clean my office. <laughs> when I have a free day, I clean closets. Oh, like okay. my closet, my kids' closets, the junk drawers. That's my free day. I don't get a free day unless we leave Los Angeles. Mm. If I still have my house, I'm in my house. Right. Cleaning it and making it better. If we leave Los Angeles, I can sit somewhere that isn't my house and stare out the window for six hours and not move. Wow. But if I'm in Los Angeles, I have to make my house function. Right, right, right. I get it. I get it. I'm kind of the same way when I, I have like a um, wardrobe rack uh-huh. and all the time my housekeeper will get like piles and piles of clothes because I'm like, oh, this is, I'm supposed to be working or something else. I'm like, oh, I think this yeah. dress is old. Or I think, so I get it. You yeah. just get caught up in it. Your favorite movie of all time? International Velvet. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Because it's about, it's, it's the faux sequel to National Velvet and it's yeah. about the niece of National Velvet, whose parents die in a crash in Arizona, and she gets shipped out to England to live with her aunt, the famous Velvet. And she wants a horse, and she works every single day, and she writes short stories to buy this horse. (laughs) No, this is the perfect woman story. She gets the horse. She goes to the Olympics. Her horse gets hurt. She can't ride in the Olympics, so she loses her first shot. Then she gets to go to the Olympics again. Her horse is better. She's doing this, she's riding through the Olympics. She falls off at a jump. She breaks her ribs. They tell her she can't ride. She's like, oh no, I will ride. And she rides the dressage round and she wins. Wow. And I'm like, this is the story of like everything. Every, well, yeah, you got it all covered there for yourself. Wow. Wow. I don't and think it's ever. And it's Tatum O'Neill is the little wow. girl. Wow, Tatum O'Neill. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
Have you seen National Velvet? Yeah, a billion oh, times. Okay, with a Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. She, Elizabeth Taylor's like my everything. So. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But never internet. Okay, I have to. Now check you have it to out. watch. It's, I, I'm honestly, my kids are like, you love this movie, and I'm like, yeah, no, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it speaks to you in a certain it's, way. You know, the things that speak to you when you were 12 are the things that speak to you forever. I have yeah. Spotify now, and in the car, I just like listen to the stuff I used to listen to between the ages of 12 and 16. Yeah. Yeah. That's who you are. <laughs> like that fundamental person is who you are. Yeah, that's, that's, I agree. So your favorite thing about Los Angeles? I love that when you're in LA, you can be in every single place at once. You can go to the beach, you can go to the mountains, you can see a great movie, you can have a great meal, you can find a little bookstore, although it's getting harder. Yeah. But you can have all the things. And the reason I'm really running is that when I moved to Los Angeles, it was the alternative to a city like New York where you had to struggle every minute to stay there. Mm -hmm. You could come to Los Angeles and not hustle and have a life. And I'm in this race because I don't want to feel like I'm constantly hustling. Mm -hmm. That's not why I, I moved here. Right, right. And I think we can go back to not hustling if, if we solve our housing crisis. For me, everything's housing. Yeah. If you solve your housing crisis and you're not working six jobs to pay your rent. Right. Then you can go to the beach. Right. That's like the unemployment numbers when they say the unemployment numbers are so low. And I'm like, yeah, but how many people are working like 12 right. jobs? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. <laughs> it's one solid job. Yes. Versus, one yeah. solid job should be enough. Yeah. So one thing you want voters to know about you. I always show up. Mm. I am always available. I have shown up at every forum. I have shown up in every coffee shop. My office doors are always open. I will always have a conversation with you. I will always try to find a solution for you. That's right. my job. That is amazing. Well, March 3rd. March for, 3rd. The polls know. are already open. Polls are open. You can vote early. Please vote, everyone. Vote, vote, vote. It's vote, so vote, important. vote. We are on Super Tuesday this year, so big, big and can that. I also put a plug in for yeah. it's the primary and I am not supposed to talk about other races because my campaign manager hates me <laughs> when I do this, but vote your heart. Yeah. The primary is for your heart. Yeah. You can't vote some weird sort of logic because the other million people are not making the same logic you are. There's no like game day where we're all together, guys. Right. Like vote your heart. Yeah. And then do what you have to do in November. Yeah. And okay. we all have to do it. <laughs> we all have to do it for RBG's sake. For so. RBG, we have to do <laughs> it. it. So this is the OG of HRC signing off.